Hello and welcome to the Dogwood Podcast. I'm Lisa Sammartino. And I'm Sophie Harrison. Now, normally, we release this podcast on the last day of the month because we are serial procrastinators, but we are sending this out into the world a few days early for a very good reason. That's because this Monday is the final day for the BC government's public consultation on oil spills. Uh, We've got an exciting episode planned for you today, and we wanted to make sure you had this information before that deadline. So, this oil spill consultation process. What is it? Um... It's a response to that press release that the government issued on January 30th, 31st, mm-hmm. end of January, that they got so much backlash on. Um, so they were proposing at that point five new um, protections to protect communities from oil spills. And they were things like response time, so making sure that like first responders can get to the oil spill site as soon as possible so they can clean up a relatively higher fraction of the oil, ideally contained it earlier, things like compensation for communities that are impacted by spills. Um, and of course, point five was a super controversial one. That was the diluted bitumen restrictions until we can have more science right. to show we can clean it up. Right. So if there's one thing that you should add to your list for this weekend, if it's not already on your list, it's submitting your comment to the BC government's oil spill consultation process. And you can do that by going right over to our website, dogwoodbc.ca, and clicking on the big red button on the homepage that says submit your comment. We talked about Kinder Morgan a lot this year, January, February podcast, and again now in April. And that's because it's so interesting. Everything is changing all the time, and this month is no exception. There's somebody calling for us to be hanged for treason. You know, it's just, just the news week. cycle. It's, yeah, just, just another week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's been a crazy week here. Um, and we're really grateful to our volunteers and our staff who have had to put up with a lot of really, really horrible comments about them and their lives. And for the amazing support we get from our community in moments like these, I feel like I've gotten more people reaching out in the last couple days saying how much they appreciate the work we're all doing together to stop this pipeline uh, more than ever while we're getting those types of hate mail. Yeah, I was I was pretty scared to check the Dogwood General inbox this morning, um, and it was just full of wonderful love mail, somebody called it. Oh. This is love mail. <laughs> um And people said, you know, they're attacking you because you're effective and they're worried. And it's so true. Um, And now we're giving all those people another tool to use um, to make sure that the government falls through on its promises, to hold the liberal government accountable, the federal liberal government accountable. um, And that's this oil spill consultation. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Heck yeah. Yeah, we've got a jam-packed episode, so we're going to start with talking about this announcement from just this past week. Mm-hmm. The BC government finally submitted their reference case to the highest court in the province, so lots to unpack there. We're going to talk to West Coast environmental law lawyer Stephanie Hewson, um, and then we're going to move on to actually getting some answers from somebody with real-life experience with spill response. We have a former Trans Mountain employee coming on to the show to talk to us about whether we can clean up diluted bitumen when it spills. Um, it's going to be an exciting episode. Yeah. I'm excited to dive in with you, Lisa. Romilly Kavanaugh, um, who's become a celebrity overnight, um, was arrested at the tank farm. We're, we're talking to her um, as a former Trans Mountain employee. She was arrested, um, and we're going to have a, a chat with her in this podcast. So Yay. exciting. Let's start at the very beginning. Let's do it. BC has filed its reference case uh, with the BC Court of Appeal. Mm -hmm. Um, This was like, in case people don't remember, this is sort of 
what happened back in February when BC said, we're going to have this piece of legislation. Alberta said, you're not allowed to do that. We're not going to buy your wine. If you don't remember, you can listen to the February podcast, which was all about this. Um, and then BC said, okay, well, we don't know if it's on, you're saying it's not in our jurisdiction. We're saying it is. Clearly nobody knows. Let's take it to the court. So they filed that this week. Um, so to get another take on um, this announcement from this week, we got to have a quick clip here from West Coast Environmental Law lawyer, Stephanie Hewson, um, focuses on um, marine safety. She's written a recent blog for West Coast Environmental Law's Environmental Law Alert blog about uh, the ongoing oil spill consultation process. And we got a few answers from her on what all this means. So in January, BC announced that it would be looking to draft new spill response regulations in five areas. And right now it's seeking comment on four of those areas. And the fifth area, the transportation of diluted bitumen, is a subject of the reference case. Um, and this fifth area uh, are proposed amendments to the Environmental Management Act, and they'd require uh, companies to obtain a permit to transport crude oil. Uh, and in order to get a permit, you'd have to show that you could clean up a spill in the event that one happened. And along with this draft legislation, the government has also asked three questions, which are basically asking whether the legislation is valid. So can the province do what it wants to do? Um, and could the legislation apply to interprovincial projects? And our take on this at West Coast is that this is a good step towards protecting the environment uh, and the health and safety of BC residents. And in our view, the government does, the provincial government does have the authority to enact this type of legislation. And we also see it as also the, the province's responsibility uh, to protect the land and waterways and communities in BC. So we waited for months to finally see this reference question. Now what? Where, where does the process go for here now that this question has been submitted? Now that the BC government has submitted their reference question, the court will consider and make a ruling on the three questions that the government has asked. We don't know the timeline for the decision, but it's unlikely the court will make one by May 31st. And the court will either decide that the legislation is valid, meaning that it's within BC's jurisdiction to enact, or that it's not. And if it's not valid, the court will give some information likely or guidance on the problems with the legislation. Great. So some sort of clarity from the courts about how far BC's jurisdiction over um, regulating diluted bitumen in the province extends. And then presumably from there, that's when government would actually put these proposed regulations into the law. Um, my last question for you, Stephanie, um, is more broad about this oil spill consultation process. You know, as you mentioned, point five relates specifically to diluted bitumen, uh, but it's also a amazing opportunity more broadly to strengthen oil spills for all the existing shipments that are already coming through BC communities every day. How would you and the West Coast team uh, go about that? There's a few things we'd like to see improved in BC's current proposed spill response regime. So I'll list off a couple. Um, We'd like to see greater public involvement in the process of approving spill response plans. 
We'd like to be sure that the legislation on spill response is based on the best available science and on Indigenous knowledge. Um, we'd like shippers to be required to demonstrate that they have enough money and the ability to pay for cleanup and that their spill plans work so that we can be assured that the polluter can and will pay. And we'd also like to see the spill regulations embody BC's commitment to implementing the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. So right now, uh, the government's conducting public consultation on their four spill response regulation, and we'd encourage everyone to participate. Um, so there's more information on the ways the regulations can be strengthened on our website. We have a blog up currently, and it also gives you some information on how to submit your comments. So it's an important time for everyone's voice to be heard. That was Stephanie Hewson from West Coast Environmental Law. Some of their ideas sound like things you want to learn more about and that you can get behind. Uh, you can read about it on their blog, as Stephanie said. We've linked to that in the show notes. So if you were a shareholder with Kinder Morgan or an investor in Kinder Morgan, does this week change anything for you? Does that reference case to the court mean anything to Kinder Morgan and its investors? I think it shows that the BC government is serious at following through with what they said they would. They said that they were going to um, take action within their jurisdiction to protect the health and safety, the environment, the economy um, that people in BC depend on. And so now they're going to the courts and they're starting to do that. Right. We have a clip from Attorney General David Eby uh, when he spoke to the media about this that sort of details what the questions are. Back in February, we we're talking about what's the question? What's it going to be? Um, and, and now we know. Um, so let's play that. These questions are, is the draft legislation within provincial jurisdiction to enact? In other words, can we do it? Question two, would the draft legislation be applicable to hazardous substances brought into British Columbia by way of an interprovincial undertaking such as a pipeline? In other words, does it matter how the substance gets here? And finally, is there any federal legislation that is inconsistent with the proposed amendments that would make the proposed amendments inoperative? In other words, are there any federal laws that would prevent us from doing this? So no big surprises there. No, I think they're doing what they've said that they wanted to do all along, which was um, do what the federal and previous provincial government should have done before approving this project that subjects BC communities and salmon species and waterways to a huge amount of new risk. They, you know, point to all the all the questions that we don't know yet about how diluted bitumen interacts with water, whether we can really clean it up. Um, and I think this new legislation gives them the basis to continue with their promise to protect British Columbians by getting some real science done before we move on to exposing communities to new risks. Science. Science. Uh, at that same news conference, um, Minister of Environment and Climate Change Action. Close I, enough. <laughs> does the, the, si environment minister. does the environment science stuff. Um, George Heyman um, sort of tried to explain why they are going through this whole process. There are gaps in our knowledge. These were identified in a 2015 report by the Royal Society of Canada. We need to fill those gaps in knowledge to inform regulations that will protect BC's interests, particularly on bitumen behavior in water and differing weather conditions and geographic conditions. As Heyman said, we don't know a lot about it, um, about the effects that bitumen have in water under different weather conditions in water like the ocean. 
Um, and even professional spill responders don't know what to do with it. You Especially professional spill yeah. responders, right? Um, yeah, I got to talk to Romilly Kavanaugh. I met her uh, last month up on Burnaby Mountain. Um, and uh, let's play that interview now. Yeah. Uh, I'm joined now by Romilly Kavanaugh. Romilly is an environmental engineer, and she used to work for Trans Mountain in the 90s. You may recognize her from international headlines when she got arrested last month protesting Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain expansion. Thank you so much, Romilly, for joining us on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. We are so lucky to have you. Um, Thank you. I've got a few questions for you today, but I was thinking of just starting off with um, why did you decide to cross the injunction line and get arrested at Kinder Morgan's Burnaby Tank Farm? Uh, well, that's a great question. So uh, I've been a law-abiding citizen my entire life, but uh, it was just a moment of exasperation that drove me to stand in front of the gates up at um, the, the Kinder Morgan facility on Burnaby Mountain. I've watched for decades as the government has dragged their feet on dealing with anything to do with climate change uh, and has done a horrendous job trying to uh, work with Indigenous groups and really have legitimate and authentic reconciliation with them. Uh, and just all of these decisions that are being made for projects that we really don't need. Uh, we need to be moving away from the fossil fuel industry as quickly as possible. We're in the midst of a climate change disaster. This is absolutely the wrong time to be building additional infrastructure in those industries. There's also the huge risk of a spill from a tanker. And there's just inadequate equipment to try to deal with any kind of a marine spill on a large scale. So there's just a multitude of issues related to this project, in addition to a very faulty NEB process. I mean, the list just goes on and on. So it was just, I felt my duty at this point to try and stand up and do something. It's just been uh, a ridiculous process from the beginning, this whole approval process for the Kinder Morgan expansion. Here, here. Um, <laughs> you started to touch on it a Bit, but I would love to dive in more to the personal experience you had with the Trans Mountain Line. Um, what exactly was your role um, when you were working for Trans Mountain? So when I worked at Trans Mountain, I was an environmental engineer there, and we were responsible for any environmental issues related to the construction of new infrastructure as well as the day-to-day -day operations. So one of my responsibilities was cleaning up sites after they'd had a spill, uh, we were also responsible for putting together applications that would go to the National Energy Board for approval for expansion. There was uh, expansion that was done when I was there, but it was on a much smaller scale. So they added in some additional pipe and some additional pumping stations. But what's proposed now is on a much, much larger scale. So taking the throughput from 300,000 barrels a day up to almost 900 yeah. and increasing tanker traffic sevenfold, which is a huge risk. So, so the responsibilities included all of those things. Um, we had open houses when there was projects that were proposed. We would meet with the local community, with landowners. So really anything that you can think in terms of day-to-day -day operations, sampling the air, sampling the water, sampling the soil. Um, so all of those different elements of keeping the pipeline running as smoothly as possible and trying to minimize environmental impacts. It sounds like you did witness oil spills or leaks as sometimes the company likes to call them, while you were there. Yes. Um, tell yes, us more about right. the response that you witnessed. How much of it was cleaned up? How did that happen? 
So fortunately, when I was there, I was just there for five years. They didn't have any major spills into a water body like the Fraser River, but to me, that was just a terrifying scenario. Um, because if there was a spill near Hope, for example, you would have oil coming all through the Fraser Valley and right down into Vancouver. Yes. So the they've got equipment in place to try to handle those types of spills, but a water-based spill at that time, and very little has changed since then, a water-based spill into or a spill into a river or into the marine environment, they're fortunate if they can get 10% of it back. The rest of it goes into the water, it goes into the soil, it impacts wildlife. And what we saw with the Exxon Valdez spill in Alaska is that even 20 years later, you can turn over a rock on the beach and there will be oil there. So the environment just does not recover quickly and some species will be wiped out. Uh, so it's really quite a scary scenario and something very similar could happen here in the Salish, in the Salish Sea. So with the Exxon Valdez, the orca population that was impacted is going to die out. It's going to go extinct. They haven't had a single calf born since that incident happened. So it's a very, very sad scenario. 250,000 seabirds were killed, over 3,000 marine mammals. So that includes whales, sea otters, seals. Uh, a billion herring and salmon eggs were smothered in oil. So the impacts are quite extreme. And then if you look at what happened with the Deepwater Horizon spill in, in the Gulf of Mexico, mm -hmm. $6 billion worth of damage was done to other industries like tourism and fisheries, which of course the oil and gas industry never wants people to think about. They just want to focus on their own industry, the ability to make profits and the jobs related to that, but not to look at the externalities, what happens to society, what happens to the ecosystem when there's a major impact from a spill. Right. Yep. Very narrow <laughs> scope of analysis when they're talking about how exactly. this is going to impact our economy. Exactly. Um, you've also touched on this a bit already, but one of the things I saw, say, on the internet after um, the number of articles came out about you after you did get arrested protesting the Trans Mountain expansion was, oh, she hasn't worked at Trans Mountain since the 90s. Like, she, like obviously the technology is better and we can clean up diluted bitumen now. Um, uh, that's absolutely not true. <laughs> that's absolutely not true. So the oil spill equipment is almost identical to what it was in the 90s. Right. So what they'll do is they'll set up a boom in a marine environment or in a river, which is almost like a thick rope that has a skirt that hangs down from it. So all that it can contain is what remains at the surface. With diluted bitumen in particular, which is a heavy oil, uh, a large portion of that will sink. It also gets mixed into the water as well. So anything that doesn't remain at the surface, they have no technology to clean up. Nothing has changed in that regard in decades. So when I started to see that people were commenting on that and saying, well, she hasn't worked in the industry for quite a long time, I went online, searched like credible information from universities that are doing research on this, and you can get direct quotes off the internet for very credible scientists saying really nothing has changed. So the skimming technology has gotten, gotten a little bit better. So once they've contained it within the boom, they have equipment that skims the surface and tries to pull that oil into the boats, for example, or up onto the shore. That technology has improved a little bit, certainly, but that's not really the major issue. The major issue is that containment component. How do we try to keep it in one place and not going into... Uh, spawning areas or other sensitive parts of the environment. So if we look at recent history, which was the, the Deepwater Horizon spill in the Gulf of Mexico, they boomed off areas that are sensitive, like um, marshlands, and 
the wind action and the wave action will cause that oil to go up and over the boom and right into that area that they're trying to protect. That has not changed. That's the exact technology from the 90s. Yikes. Yeah. And I'm thinking about, you know, you, you already mentioned that this line crosses the Fraser River. And I, I can't, I can't exactly. imagine that being, you know, diluted bitumen spills in the Fraser. I can't imagine it being very easily easy to contain something in a boom. Well, it's not at all. So what they'll do is they'll do something similar in the ocean as well as on a river. Mm. So on a river, they form a V with the booms and they try to drive the oil into the center of that. But you've got the exact same issue that's happening, which is that it's moving. So it's getting mixed in with the water and some of it's sinking. So there's very little really that they can do once it gets into the water. The, the best way to prevent environmental damage is to not have a pipeline expansion in the first place. In the same way that the best way to keep from getting lung cancer is not to smoke. So we don't need this pipeline. We, we certainly don't need 400 tankers going through the Salish Sea. And once it still happens, there's very little they can do about it. That's just reality. Here, here. I'm on board. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. And I'm sure your listeners are as well. Yeah. It's good it also sounds like the BC because... government is right now, which is pretty yes. exciting. So one of the things they're proposing is that we shouldn't have any new shipments of diluted bitumen through the province unless there's science Absolutely. that shows us we can clean it up. Which there is not. <laughs> In fact, the science shows the opposite. Um, and people need to think as well. Uh, like I've had some feedback online of, oh, we've got state-of-the-art technology, or they never spill anything, or the risks are low. Well, the, the reality is what happens in a lab when they're manufacturing this equipment and, and testing it is not what happens in the real world out in the environment. Yeah, totally. So, well, thank you so much, Romilly, for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. I know I am leaving oh, this conversation welcome. feeling even more horrified at the dangers that an expansion would pose to our community, let alone the risks that communities that live along the existing Trans Mountain or other routes are already exposed to on a, on a daily basis. Exactly. So before you do anything else, go to dogwoodbc.ca, hit the red button on our homepage and complete your um, consultation comment um, to send to the BC government before Monday, end of day. Just do it before Monday, just to be safe or on Monday if you want to tell your coworkers about it. Yeah. Submit yours now, then tell your friends. Yeah. The best way to do it. There's a lot of like noise around the podcast studio slash kitchen above the car wash today because we have the organizers in the office. They're trying to get people to do this. Um, we're trying to get people to do this on the podcast. Please don't let all that work go in vain. I have a confession. You haven't done yours? I haven't submitted my comment yet, but Let's I got right a now. text message from a very committed dogwood volunteer <laughs> reminding me that the deadline's coming up. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely committed to getting mine in. I don't know. Lisa, what did you write in yours? I did right when I just opened up the dogwood homepage. So Sophie can do this right after we're done. <laughs> Lisa's not going to let me get away with this. <laughs> Office shaming. Um, but I talked about how I am, I live on the proposed pipeline route. Um, it's going to go not through my property, but across the street. And um, I talked about like the salmon rearing streams in our same neighborhood that I walk by every day with my dog hunter um, and, and what that'll mean for our community. Um, when there is a spill. Um, and I just like, I just live in like Langley on the ground, um, in the ocean, it's like that much worse. Um, so I just wanted them to know how I felt. Um, 
you don't have to be an expert. No, you don't. I mean, I'm not an expert in spill response. I got to talk to some cool experts about it. But yeah, I think I'm going to keep my comment really simple. I'm going to say we don't want more risks for our communities with a substance that we don't know how to clean it up. Um, And in the meantime, we want stronger standards for all the existing oil shipments that are already coming through BC neighborhoods. I think you know, that's one of the exciting pieces of this comment period is so many people are focusing on oil spills right now because of the Kinder Morgan expansion threat looming over us. But um, there's oil traffic already happening in the harbor. You know, Mm -hmm. Kinder Morgan's pipeline has averaged, the existing Trans Mountain line has averaged more than a spill a year since it's been active. Um, We saw just a couple years ago the um, Nathan E. Stewart spill and all the impacts that's had on the community up there. You know, they're still bearing the costs of that. They've not been compensated by uh, the polluter. And um, hearing those stories about how they still can't harvest their food sources, I think that's some of what I'm going to talk about too, is that, you know, we need to stop new threats to our communities. And we also need um, some level of justice and fairness in the spill response regime so that these wealthy corporations can't leave communities with their um, important resources and shared spaces in their histories damaged without having to pay for it. Right. So again, the website's dogwoodbc.ca. I know we're doing a lot of plugs for this in this episode. We don't normally do that, but this is a really important thing. Um, If you care about the BC coast and you care about stopping Kinder Morgan, this is like one of the last things that we might be able to do um, to, to try to raise our voice. This might be one of our last opportunities. So I really hope everybody takes action. Um... And again, you can do that in the show notes. The link will be there as well. Um, Next month on the podcast will probably be another Kinder Morgan episode. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be exciting. (laughs) The company has said they may make a decision as of May 31st. Um, So all sorts of like roller coaster over the next month, I think. It's going to be rock and roll. Yeah. Um, so that means in addition to the January and February and April podcast, we'll have a May Kinder Morgan theme podcast. Yeah. I think about this a couple times a day, Kinder Morgan. Sophie thinks about it all the time. So much of the time. She's Tanker's campaigner at Dogwood. So I wanted to ask her, have you paid attention to any news, anything not related to Kinder Morgan in the I last, mean, since January? No, not really. Okay. I want to play full, a game. Full disclosure for our listeners. Lisa warned me she was going to play this game, but she told me not to study. So I have not read any more news that I would normally read. Don't read any news. I, yeah, I've just continued on with my Kinder Morgan Google News Arts and my regular reading of the dozens and dozens of articles that come out every week about this. And yep. So I'm ready. I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. You, I know. I'm going to ask you some non-tankers and pipeline, non-Kinder Morgan related news. And we're going to see how well you do. I look so nervous right now. <laughs> I know you all can't see me, but I am feeling nervous. Okay. There was an Olympics this year <laughs> in February. Uh-huh. Do you know where it was? Do you know the country? I mean... This wasn't even the question. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so. I, I, don't, I don't follow the Olympics. I know that Russia wasn't in it. Sort of. Kind of. They had athletes yeah. competing, but not under the banner yeah. of Russia. I remember that. Yeah, that's true. Okay, here's the question. Can you name one person? And it was winter. It was winter. (laughs) February was the clue on that. Obviously. And eight years since the 2010 Olympics. Name one 
Canadian athlete that won a medal. No, I can't. I definitely can't. I thought you were going to get this one. No. Did Tess and Scott win something? Yes. yes. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to get it because I know, because I told you. I did watch some Tess and Scott videos. I told you about This is it, all coming yeah. back to me now. I also, yeah, I... The Kinder Morgan news cycle dating. moves so quickly that <laughs> yeah. any news of any kind that was like more than a month ago, I've forgotten. I don't even know what was happening on Kinder Morgan in February. Okay, we'll give you some in the last month. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, who was the first rap artist to win a Pulitzer? And that happened last month. I definitely have no idea. Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> <laughs> that was our producer, Noel. Who loves Kendrick Lamar? <laughs> Send everybody a clip of him this morning. <laughs> Kendrick Lamar, first rapper to win a Pulitzer. One more. Ready? Uh-oh. What did Will and Kate name their newborn baby? I definitely have no idea. <laughs> it's only been the last couple of days. I just had a baby? <laughs> <laughs> they did. Now they have three. There's three children now. Great. The monarchy is strong. Wait, wait, wait. No, I don't have an answer to this. Lewis. It's a good name. Solid. <laughs> well Solid done, Will and Kate. Solid <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. That was worth every minute. <laughs> Lisa had so much fun. I did. You know how like shows like Canada Land have shout outs to their donors? Yeah. We've never been able to do that <laughs> because nobody has ever given us money. For, specifically for the podcast. But, but one guy did. Yes. And he tweeted at us that he gave us money after listening to our podcast. John Richmond, thank you for your support. Thank you, John. <laughs> um, but obviously, we don't do this for donations. There's so many other ways to support us. Yes. And uh, we make this podcast so people can hear our stories, can hear the stories of the movement, um, can hear about the things beyond the headlines uh, in British Columbia. Um, and take action. And so if you like this podcast, just leave us a rating, tell your friends about it, um, share it on social media. And that's really like all we ask of you. And I lied. What we actually asked of you is that you go participate in the oil spill comments <laughs> and then you share the podcast. Um, and if you have a question, a comment, or just want to tell us what's on your mind, reach out. You can tweet us at DogwoodBC, send us a message on Facebook at dogwoodbc or send us an email at dogwood at dogwoodbc.ca basically dogwoodbc anywhere uh remember to submit your comment the link is in the show notes um and we know it's been a rock and roll month you know we started off this episode talking about it but some angry people out there that don't like environmentalists and other people standing up for the lands and waters here and want us to be hanged so if you need some extra encouragement today. We wanted to end that episode with um, some words of encouragement and wisdom from one of Dogwood's newest board members, Jess Hosty. Um, her community up in Bella Bella, the Hiltzik Nation, has been victorious against one tar sands pipeline and tanker project. Um, so we know she has some some good advice to share with us. I personally, you know, as someone who's really invested in that fight, I was never, <laughs> I was never ready for the win until it happened. I was never sure it was going to happen until it happened. And I know the fight can seem so long and so hard and so uncertain, but it's so possible that you'll win. And I know you will. Um, and I think it's important to remember that for communities who were impacted by the proposed Northern Gateway Pipeline and fought it and won, we don't consider that our work is done. 
uh, when we were fighting that pipeline, we had um, friends and, and close Salish relatives and many other people who stood with us, even though they weren't necessarily directly impacted by the threat of this bill. And both of us on the north and central coast, I think, are really standing with those fighting kingdom we're going to well.